Acts 18, 24 through 19, 10. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he, only, he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. And it had happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who has come who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, and when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There were about 12 men in all, and he entered the synagogue, and there for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. But when some of them became stubborn and continued in unbelief, speaking evil of the way before the congregation, he withdrew from them and took the disciples with him, reasoning daily in the hall of Tyrannus. This continued for two years, so that all the residents of Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Greeks. May God bless the reading of his word. And now we have Pastor Jeff coming up to give the sermon, so please give him a warm welcome. Thank you. Good morning and happy Easter. He is risen. Welcome and welcome to those of you who are here for the first time or maybe just visiting for our baptism or just checking us out. It's so good to be able to worship with you this morning. Will you pray with me as we begin? We give you thanks, great God, for the hope that we have in Jesus who died but is risen and rules over all. We praise you for his presence with us. Because he lives, we look for eternal life knowing that nothing past, present, or yet to come can separate us from your great love made known in Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. This, uh, this morning we are continuing our way through the book of Acts. It's uh, a book that we've been preaching through these past few months. And by the Lord's providence, our passage today is actually quite fitting since it addresses, it talks about uh, a baptism. And today in our service, uh, as you might already know by now on this Easter Sunday, we're going to be baptizing 11 of our youth and Crossbridge members. In our passage this morning, <laughs> it's good to celebrate, yeah. We, uh, we're introduced to Apollos, right, as well as a group of disciples, or as, at least they appear to be. 
And both are, the text says, they're familiar with John's baptism. But we're going to find that maybe that these, uh, that Apollos and this group aren't exactly the same. There's, there's some differences. And so in the first seven chapters, uh, seven verses of chapter 19, Paul is traveling through Ephesus. And this is where we're going to be spending most of our time this morning. He finds uh, some group of people and he begins to have a conversation with them. And it's in this conversing with them, this back and forth between them, that uh, reveals some things to us today about baptism, what it means to be saved. And so let's begin there. So again, if you have your, uh, a pew Bible or a Bible app, you can grab it. Uh, this is Acts chapter 19, verses 1 to 7. So there's two points that we're going to touch on this morning. The first is this, that we are not saved without the Spirit. We are not saved without the Spirit. And so Paul, again, is traveling through Ephesus, and he encounters this group of disciples, or at least they appear to be, right? But it's likely that in his interaction with them, something, something doesn't add up, right? Something perhaps is signaling that maybe they're missing something. It could be something that they said. It could be their character. The text doesn't say, right? It could be their attitude. We, we don't know for sure, but in some way that Paul had doubts, that there was a genuine Christian commitment, that there was no evidence of the presence of the Holy Spirit in them. And so look at what he asked them. It's kind of strange, right? He says, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And I think it's strange, at least to me, it's a little bit strange for a couple of reasons. For one, it, it might be strange because that's not normally what you and I would ask, Right? Maybe we wouldn't phrase it that way. We might ask, you know, if they say that they're, they're a follower of Jesus, we might ask, like, what church they go to, or we might ask about their testimony, right? Like, how they came to believe in Jesus. We might ask about what they believe, right? At best, at best, we might be asking about how their lives have been transformed by the Spirit of God, and that might be what Paul's getting at. At worst, we might not ask anything at all, right, because we don't want to offend, we don't want to come across as being rude, we don't want to question, right? But for Paul, what we see for Paul, he, he goes straight to the point of what it means to be a Christian, what it means for their lives to be transformed, right? The characteristic of a genuine believer in Jesus is not someone who knows all the answers, it's not someone who goes through all the right motions, but whose faith is immersed with the Holy Spirit, whose lives and heart is transformed by the Spirit, and the Spirit is evident in their lives. Now, I think it's strange, too, because Paul's asking this question, but we know that Scripture teaches that coming to faith in Jesus also means receiving the Holy Spirit. And we're going to get to that in a bit. And so for Paul to ask, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed, is strange. At least to me it's strange because it, it seems to imply that one can believe without having the Spirit. But I don't think that's actually Paul's point. I think he knows something is up. It's up. It's possible he's suspicious. They're a little bit sauce, right? He's, he's asking them about the Holy Spirit. And so look at their response. He says, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Now that too is a strange answer to a strange question. 
Because we see in, in, in Scripture that they are baptized into John's baptism. That's uh, John the Baptist. He was the one in the, in the Gospels who was proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And he was the one who said in Mark chapter 1, 7, 8, he says, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized with you with water, but he, Jesus, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And so their answer, when we think about it, is kind of strange because John himself said that the one coming after him would baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So how is it that they you know, have not even heard of the Holy Spirit? And, and different commentators will kind of debate about that. One, one possible way to kind of understand is that, well, it, maybe it's that they weren't aware that the Holy Spirit has arrived in this sense, right? Maybe uh, they didn't hear about Pentecost in Acts 2 with the Holy Spirit descending on the people. They seem to have no knowledge of Jesus, that this is the one who John's baptism is pointing to. Now, in other uh, passages of Scripture, Paul is clear that we are not saved without the Spirit, that we receive the Holy Spirit when we come to faith. Romans 8 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. Anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to Him. 1 Corinthians. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. No one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, what is what does that mean to have this gift of the Holy Spirit? What does that mean to receive the Holy Spirit? Now, in our passage, we see a, a clear, immediate evidence of the Spirit's presence. Verse 6, right? And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. That is, they began to speak in unlearned languages. The technical term is glossolalia, right? Heavenly languages or maybe languages that, that they aren't aware of, they, they didn't learn or weren't trained in or weren't educated in. Others began to prophesy too. Now, I, I think we, we need to be careful here. Um, I, I'm not entirely sure that what is happening here in Acts 19 is a normative for every single believer, right? It doesn't mean that, you know, once these 11 people get baptized that they're going to start breaking out in tongues. Now, that could happen, right? That could be evidence of the Spirit, and we would praise God for that, but it's not necessarily normative or guaranteed. Even in Acts 10, 45 to 46, we see that the order is switched up too. You have these Gentiles who have faith and have received the Holy Spirit and are speaking in tongues, and this happens right before they get baptized, not after. Now, there's only a few occurrences of this gift of tongues happening in the book of Acts. And we, we see it happen to the Jewish believers in Jerusalem at Pentecost in Acts 2. It happens to the first Gentile believers in Acts 10. And now here it happens to these Ephesian believers. And part of the way, part of what you know, Luke might be trying to help us to understand and to see is that the evidence of the Holy Spirit is shown in the, this particular way to confirm what God is doing as his plan of salvation unfolds. It could also be that in these particular situations that the 
evidence of the Holy Spirit was shown in this way because it needed to be. Now we know in Paul's letter to the Corinthians that not everyone has the same spiritual gifts. He writes, now there are a variety of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. There are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the spirit the utterance of wisdom, to another the utterance of knowledge according to the spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another the gifts of healing by the one spirit. And he goes on and he ends like this. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. Now the point here is that we are not saved without the spirit. And the evidence of that Holy Spirit in our lives Sometimes can come through certain spiritual gifts like tongues and prophesying, but scripture is clear that it was it will always come through life transformation. That the desires, the will, the attitudes of our hearts will be transformed such that it will be shown, it will bear fruit. Right? So what does that look like? To receive the Spirit in part is to have the fruit of the Spirit. Some of you are aware of the fruit. How many fruit of the Spirit are there? Right? There's love. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, right? There's nine. And yet this is something that we sometimes pass over because English is kind of weird like that, right? Like the, the word fruit here is actually singular, not plural. And it's weird because we might not notice that because, you know, the plural of goose is geese, right? But the plural of moose is not meese. It's moose, and then there's fruit, and the plural of fruit can be fruits, or it can be fruit, you know. So we're not here emphasizing the different kinds of fruit, right? Like, I like apples and bananas, or my smoothie is made from a variety of fresh fruits. But we're talking about a collective singular. We're emphasizing the group together. And so one way to think about receiving the Spirit is to receive the fruit of the Spirit is to think about it as receiving a not individual fruit, but a fruit basket. Like when you come to faith, God gives you this fruit basket of all these things that was listed out. It's not that uh, one Christian like you, you're, you're super gentle, but you're not very kind. And, and you, you're really good, but you, you have zero self-control, right? When we receive the spear, we are given all of it together, a fruit basket. Now, that doesn't mean that we're perfect in all, right? Fruit grows, it matures, we uh, are sanctified, and that takes time. But God has given these things to us, empowered and enabled by the Spirit together. One important takeaway, I think, for us is that when we think about a passage like this, the, the reception of the Holy Spirit isn't just a doctrine for us to study, to dissect. It's not simply one of the classes that those who are, are getting baptized today had to, had to take, but there is an experiential aspect to it, something to be seen, something to be evident in our lives, something to rejoice over and to point to. Part of that also means recognizing that even when we think about how we talk about our testimonies, our testimonies aren't simply just testifying about what we accomplished. 
right, how we became a better person or how we tried and tried and tried and tried and eventually we were able to get better. Right? That, that can be hard, though, because I think sometimes we're used to writing testimonies like taking selfies, right, that it's, it's all about us. It's like a be real, right? Like we want to be real, but simply when you take the photo, it's still about us, right? It's about what we're doing. Our testimonies have more I than God. And so the typical formula might, might be like, oh, my life used to be horrible. But hey, Jesus died for my sins, and now I live a good life. I have purpose. I donate. I am better. And that, that's kind of a caricature, right? But like really our testimony in that sense is just testifying to what we have done without really understanding how how. God's grace in Jesus, what God has done in Jesus and what God has done in us through the Spirit, how that really connects to our life. And so the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit's not a force. It's not like this isn't Star Wars. You know, it's not like some of us are more force sensitive than others. But we, and and like some of us have the gift of the force or whatever, right? That's not how Scripture describes the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person. The Holy Spirit is a he, not an it. He is the third person of the triune God that we worship, the Trinity. And so when we receive the Spirit, when he is at work in our hearts and in our lives, we are given new desires, new affections. Our lives and our hearts are transformed. That begins to change how we live. You know, imagine this. When you, maybe, or maybe your kid starts to hit a certain age, you start to start developing some feelings, starts having a, a crush on someone, right? You're going to notice. How do you notice, right? How do you know that they have a new affection? What does that look like? Because something's going on deep down here, right? But it's, like, you can't see here, but you see other things, right? You know, all of a sudden, hygiene is important. <laughs> they start asking to borrow your makeup, you know, the eyeliner and the mascara and the blush and all that stuff, right? The highlighter pen, eyeshadow, so on and so forth. I've been trained well. <laughs> you know? Or for some of us, you start wearing, you start buying your, your, your dad's cologne or whatever, right? The young men now are washing their face with soap. Right? They're styling their hair. They're buying, you know, they don't want your, your mom to cut your hair anymore. You want to go to a barber. And pay money. They're dressing nicer, all because of a person. New affections, new desires. That shows itself out in a transformed life. William Temple, the uh, Archbishop of Canterbury, said this when he was talking about Christ-likeness in the spirit, right? He says, it's no good giving me a play like Hamlet or King Lear and telling me to write a play like that. Like Shakespeare could do it, I can't. It's no good uh, showing me a life like the life of Jesus and telling me, live a life like that. Jesus could do it, I can't. But if the genius of Shakespeare could come and live in me, then I could write plays like his. And if the spirit of Jesus could come and live in me, then I could live a life like his. John Stott says this about this quote, God's purpose is to make us like Christ, and God's way to do that is to fill us with his Holy Spirit. And so we are not saved without the Spirit. The Spirit's presence in our lives bears fruit. 
a fruit basket, if you will. And the second point this morning that we're going to end on is this, that we see from Scripture, that we are baptized in the name of Jesus. After hearing their uh, answer to his question about receiving the Holy Spirit, Paul follows up with another question. Well, if you didn't receive the Holy Spirit, if you weren't even aware that the Holy Spirit has come, into what then were you baptized? And their reply is John's baptism. To which Paul says, well, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And I think this is, to some extent, one difference, potential difference, that sets this group apart from Apollos. Luke describes Apollos as a Jew, a native of Alexandria, who was fervent in spirit, who was instructed in the way of the Lord. He spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. Now, we're not sure exactly what was limiting in his knowledge, but when Priscilla and Aquila came and they come take him aside, it's to explain to him the way of God more accurately. doesn't mean that his knowledge was completely inaccurate. It was just incomplete. But he knew who Jesus was. He taught about Jesus before they, uh, Priscilla and Aquila came and after. But here the disciples, or at least this group of people, knowing only about John's baptism, unaware of the Spirit's work, perhaps even unaware of Jesus, are told by Paul that the Christ has come. The Spirit is at work. And they are baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. This morning we're going to be baptizing 11 of our youth and CB members. When you think about baptism, baptism is a public profession of one's faith before God and one's commitment to Christ and his people. And this faith and this commitment unites the believer to the church and marks off him or her from the world. In the act of baptism, the church has a role too. It affirms the believer's union and identification with Christ in his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And the church portrays this union, at least our church, typically, not always, through immersion in water. We are commanded in Scripture, to, in the Great Commission, to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that Jesus had commanded us. So we are commanded to make disciples and to mature them through teaching, which is a lifelong process. But in between these steps of making disciples and maturing disciples, he also calls us to mark disciples and to do so through baptism. And so the biblical way for us to proclaim our faith in Jesus is not having a Christian license plate cover, it's not signing a card, it's not wearing a cross necklace or getting a tattoo of some obscure Greek word that only you understand. It's baptism. Baptism doesn't save us, let's be clear about that. But it does, it's a way for us to point to the repenting of our sins and our trust in Jesus as our only Savior. And even more important, baptism ultimately points to God's saving grace in us. So our faith expressed through baptism, it's a response to God's undeserved grace. Our, our brothers and sisters who are getting baptized are here today to declare that their salvation is by grace through faith 
in Christ and in Christ alone. So I'm going to invite the worship team to come up as I close us out in prayer and we're going to get ready. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give thanks for your goodness and your grace to us. We give thanks for this gift of salvation and also for the gift of the Holy Spirit. For he is at work in us. He is at work to bear fruit in our lives and our in our hearts to transform us, that we made, might be made to be more and more like Jesus. Help us in this endeavor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.